Welcome to The Sword and the Trial, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jerry Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Thanks for listening to The Sword and the Trial today. Um, we are very grateful to all of those who listen in to us. It's and amazing that anybody listens to this. It is. I wonder what episode this is. This is uh, like episode a lot. We're coming up in like a lot. Probably over two years. Coming on two years. I think it was two years. No, nope. Not yet. Uh, I bet this is our 85th episode. 85th episode. Well, <laughs> do not think more highly of yourselves than you ought. We've been Whatever. doing this 10 years, haven't we? By grace, we will get to two years. Hey, we have a book for sale at founders.org called The Bond of Grace and Duty. Here it is, written by Philip A. Craig. The subtitle is, uh, they, well, I guess we kind of spill over from the title to the subtitle, The Bond of Grace and Duty in the Soteriology of John Owen. Yeah. This thing's for sale, and you should totally go get it right it, now. It's incredible. It's like a $24 book or something like that, mm-hmm. and it's $13. We have it just on prepub because it's just come in, and you can get this. I don't know how much longer the sale goes, but it's not long. Yeah, you could pay that much money just to have J.I. Packer's blurb. Yeah, just to read let, his blurb on the back. Let me just read a little bit of what Packer says. He says, Owen outflanks and undercuts the widespread form of easy believism and that Philip Craig's analysis shows very clearly how he does that. So uh, commend this book to you. You can get it on sale at founders.org for $13, at least for the next few days or a week or so. We're not exactly sure. Yes. What about our uh, uh, apparel lineup, our clothing <laughs> line? <laughs> well, our spring, our spring collection <laughs> is... <laughs> Our, our spring our spring collection is fear God t-shirts. Our summer will be obey God t-shirts. And that's then in the fall, we're going to come around to trust God. Or no, no, it'll, it'll be uh, that stupid. Our, uh, that stupid t-shirt that's will be stupid. coming out soon too. Yes. Um, so if you know when Tom had his medical episode and however long ago that was, and he was in the ambulance and he was unresponsive to anybody, the first thing out of his mouth when some guy was kind of not fearing God, told him to fear God. And so, um, boy, Hannah whipped up some t-shirts. Those t-shirts look so good. And you can buy those t-shirts now, right? You can get them now? So buy a Fear God t-shirt and read the soteriology of John Owen. While you're wearing the t-shirt. You'd be done. And send a picture set. to us. Okay? Yeah. That's what we want. We I want, like that. You want, we want a picture of you reading the book, wearing the t-shirt. Yeah. And we'll feature it in our, what do we have? Social media accounts, right? Something like that. If, that? if you write a, if you write a those, review. Those tweeters. We'll feature it on Twitter. If you write a whole review of the soteriology of John Owen and send it in to us for publication at founders.org. While you wear the T-shirt, you can get like two months free fam. Whoa. Two months, two months free fam. Membership. Anna, will you take my picture while I'm reading this book in a Fear God T-shirt? We'll do that. But listen, if you do write something for Founders, you have to make sure that you spell the words right. That's true. Yes. That's true. Because uh, we would not want to promote um, illiteracy. <laughs> so, you know, like, I mean, if you like, want to be reading, ri- writing, going to criticize homeschooling, you ought to spell the words right. When you, you ought to so. spell the words right when you especially do so. if you're, you know, Harvard Journal. You know, but it's not what it used to be. <laughs> the so, Harvard Magazine, that whole Ivy League. It's like that stuff. That Ivy has then lost Choked its it water out. source and has turned brown and broken <laughs> off. Ain't no birds sitting in that anymore. Just you know, abandon those bad boys. Yeah. So what we're talking about is what uh, probably you, or maybe you've heard about is Elizabeth Bartholet, Bartholet uh, wrote an article for the Arizona, jo- Arizona Law Review. I think it was either early this year or late last year 
on homeschooling and uh, the dangers of homeschooling. The title of the article is Homeschooling Parental Rights, Absolutism versus Child Rights to Education and Protection. So absolutism versus child rights. Oh, for education. And so that article, uh, it's a lengthy article, 70-something pages in the Arizona Law Review, uh, got some publicity over the last few weeks, and the Harvard Magazine wrote a story uh, on Bartlett's uh, article. And in that magazine story, it kind of gives the summary of uh, what she contends. And basically she contends is that parents do not have absolute rights over their children, that the state has significant interest and rights over your children because the state has an interest in your children growing up to be responsible citizens, productive citizens, according to the standards of the state. Mm. And uh, what Jared was referring to in that Harvard Magazine article is it has this sad little girl that looks like she's locked up in her house, and that house has books all around it for the walls. And the one of the book titles is Arithmetic, and it's misspelled. So it's kind of a... Poignant <laughs> commentary. It's such, the, a, it's such a bad picture. Anyway, it's like, so are, are you trying to say that the little girl's in there getting her education and the three R's, and then the other kids are just out there hooping and hollering on the playground? Is that what's going on? I mean, that doesn't even make your point. Yeah. Anyways, we've got an absolute collision when it comes to um, the setup here. One of the things that struck me is is right at the beginning of the article that I read where there is a. Um, uh, renunciation of homeschooling. They say, you know, this is a big deal. There's now three to four percent of people that are homeschooling. I'm like, three to four percent. I mean, <laughs> just choke out the rebellion. I, I mean, you know what I'm saying? If we let this go on, we could have like five percent of people in the whole nation that aren't getting educated through some other source. Yeah. Goodness yeah. gracious. I remember when uh, you know Don and I educated all our six, six of our kids uh, from day one mm-hmm. uh, until they went to college. Uh, I guess all of them went to college. I think they did. And uh, it was funny. Whenever she'd go out shopping or something, and she'd have you know three or four kids and sometimes six kids with her, people say, shouldn't you be in school? They say, well, we are in school. And they say, well, is that legal? Is that legal? You know, and sometimes we had to try to talk people down from calling the cops because they thought we were really doing something mm. that could not be allowed, that you could actually teach your own children in your home. Mm. And it has been a growing movement. It is a growing movement. And, of course, uh, over the last several weeks, there are multiple kids being schooled at home. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that I would call what's going on in the uh, midst of this pandemic where schools are closed, homeschooling the way that you and I think of it, because you, know, you homeschool your kids as well. Mm-hmm. But children are being educated not in traditional classrooms, but in homes. And that's been going on now for several weeks. Yeah. Um, as much as I play around about the 3 to 4%, uh, I... I would take this article uh, as a sign that people are starting to feel the heat because they're they're seeing how broken the system is. That um, my wife and I both were trained to be educators, so we went through our secondary education, studying education, and um, just honestly, it was just a mess. Yeah, it was just a mess. I mean, I sat there and it was an absolute riot. So that makes you qualified to homeschool then, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, that's what, it's funny. That's still the way people, a lot of people feel, oh, it makes sense that you could do it because you were trained in it. I'm like, no, please. I had to take everything <laughs> that they taught me. I had to put it in a dumpster and I had to burn it. 
And once I was doing that, well, then I could come and educate my kids. And I'm not playing around with this stuff because, I mean, you go back and you look at John Dewey and you look at this American pragmatism way of educating and you see it. it it's absolutely devoid of God. And we've lived too long. You know, you go back to, um, to Dabney, who used to say, hey, one day there's going to come, they're going to stop all prayer and catechisms in schools. And you say, catechism in yeah. schools? We used to do it that way? Well, yeah, once you have deleted God from the equation and you start to educate with no acknowledgement whatsoever that there is a God in heaven and that all the truth belongs to him, well, you're, you're not going to actually come out to a right understanding of the world or anything in it. And I know that's a it's foundational principle that people still don't seem to grasp. And it begins to just uh, fall in on itself. And I think people are, they might not see the connection between the denial of the God who is and then trying to actually educate somebody without ever acknowledging him. They don't understand that um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the very beginning of knowledge. So if you don't have that, then you can't have true knowledge. We still live where people think, well, I really can't. I don't have to fear God. Buy the t-shirt, by the way. Yeah, I don't have to fear God, and I can still get knowledge. No, no, you can't. You can't. And so I'm sorry, but your system is done for. Yeah, yeah. All education is moral. And there's a moral foundation to it. And, and, of course, it's rooted in God, who God is. God's the, the one who is truth. God's the one who defines what is true, what is false, what is good, what is bad, what is beautiful, what is ugly. And today we try to have those concepts separated from the God who issued them, the God who authored them. And you will never escape it. So at the foundation of all education, there is a moral basis. And if your morality is not rooted in the revelation of the God who is, then you're just going to go askew. It's going to happen. I mean, you can still say two plus two equal four because God in his common grace gives that type of understanding. Yeah. But you're also going to start expressing concerns as this uh, Harvard professor does, uh, Professor Bartholet and saying we're concerned because some of these homeschoolers are science deniers. They won't allow boys to become girls. Mm. They won't allow girls to become boys. Yeah, I, we're the science deniers, exactly. right? Exactly, <laughs> and that's what's so scary is because you know, again, we've 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 separated the way that we think about morality and education, and so we think, well, there's the humanities, and that's where that whole morality stuff really plays if you're in history. But it doesn't drift into like biology, and it doesn't drift into geometry, and like no, it does get there. Mm-hmm. It gets to geometry. I can't remember where I was where I was um, listening to this, but there was a man that was going to visit a university, some brilliant guy, and uh, he was talking about all the nonsense that you experienced in kind of the humanity section. And then he walked out and he says, you know, it's interesting. I bet they didn't have those ideas when they built the foundation of this building. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's right. It's like, um, but it really does go there, and we're actually seeing it go there in the sciences right now. So yeah. we become the science deniers when, no, really, this is the problem. It's not whether but which. You are the science deniers. Yeah. You're the ones over here that are claiming that you can actually accomplish this crazy uh, rebellion, this anarchy that you're promoting. And this is where some Christians are starting to say, you know, I mean, as long as it was just I had to, like, reteach history, you know, when it came back. Like, you got geography right, and mm-hmm. you kind of got math right, and I was willing to play in that space. But now I'm starting to be concerned because you're actually starting to tamper with the sciences. Yeah, absolutely. And, and nobody wants that type of postmodern thinking 
on the part of their heart surgeon or on the part of their banker. They, they want those two guys to have absolute standards of right, wrong, yeah. good, bad, accurate, inaccurate. Yeah, this Bartholet, one of the um, one of the quotes, this is reading from an article, yeah, but it says, Bartholet notes that some of these parents are, quote, extreme religious ideologues. That'd be you. Who question science and promote <laughs> female subservience and white supremacy. Man, they nailed you. Well, well you know, here's, here's what's interesting. Here's what I want Christians to get. Many Christians feel the need to go, you know, that's not true. I'm not a religious extremist. I'm not an ideologue. And, you know, I don't question science and I don't promote these things. And all that's fine. Like, okay, I get it. It's a big fat lie about us. But all you have to do is just change the uh, front part. It's like, no, uh, many in the government schools are extreme religious ideologues who question science and promote female subservience and white supremacy. What am I talking about? You're, you, you're going to tell me that uh, sex reassignment surgery is not a religious, zealous commitment? Absolutely. You're going to tell me to start having the boys beat all the girls in track isn't female subservience? No, you're, you're the ones who are doing this, and we're saying we would rather not. Yeah, the, yeah this worldview crashes in on itself. It's inevitable. But one of the things that's important to point out about uh, this article and the fact that it's gained attention and, and the, the lengthy article in the Arizona Law Review is what her premises are. And so there's a summary of the article at the beginning, and it says this. The article describes the rapidly growing homeschooling phenomena and the threat it poses to children and society. It goes on to say many homeschool because they want to isolate their children from ideas and values central to our democracy, determined to keep their children from exposure to views that might enable autonomous choice about their future lives. Many promote racial segregation, female subservience. Many question science. And so the article uh, concludes with that the argument is to ban homeschooling. It recommends a presumptive ban on homeschooling so that if a parent wants to homeschool they must gain an exemption an exemption you know maybe because your kid's exceptionally artistic or exceptionally athletic or something like that but all kind of hoops you got to jump through to satisfy the state well for as christians whether you homeschool or not as christians this type of thinking ought to sound alarm bells they're coming for your children and we ought to go back and say okay what does the bible say does the Bible, does, has God spoken about children and how they're to be educated? Children, how they're to be nurtured and formed to launch into the world? Well, yes, he has. And when we go back and consider what the scripture says, we then will see the lines drawn more clearly. Are we going to let the cultural elites, are we going to allow the state to come in and encroach in the realm where God has ordained Fathers, mothers, bring your children up right. in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Right. This is an issue of sphere sovereignty. We talk about these categories where there is the uh, civil realm, there's the familial realm, there's the ecclesiastical realm, and education belongs to the familial realm. And um, and I remember we should tell our story. I remember sitting with you at Panera uh, however many years ago, back in the day, I was I went to government school growing up, and uh, you know I knew you homeschool, and we had been friends for a while. And I had my oldest child, some the firstborn was probably about three, and I remember just sitting down with you. I mean, like, 
and what's the deal? I said, what's the deal with this homeschool thing? You know, here I'm, I played football, I played baseball, I played soccer, went to prom, we did all that kind of homecoming. I mean, this is what we do. You know, what's the deal? Were you the homecoming king? I was, I was not the homecoming. I was not the homecoming king. or king. queen. Okay. This was before you started having like homecoming kings being homecoming queens and homecoming queens. Being homecoming <laughs> you could just kings. have one person. Be both. It was before that. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, I'm sitting with you. And I remember you said, well, look, Jared, I mean, just start with the fact that it's your responsibility to educate your children. And you said, I'm not saying you have to do it yourself. I'm saying it's your responsibility. If you want to do it through public education, do that. If you want to do it through private education, do that. If you want to do it through homeschool, do that. And I remember going, oh, it's my responsibility. Well, I'm never going to send them to public school. <laughs> it, was, it was fascinating to me. I mean, I, I, I had not grasped the sphere sovereignty idea that, that the education of my children was my responsibility. I was just caught in that culture, which I think so many Christians are, which this is just what we do. I mean, yeah. we have been doing it for a long time. And I came from a quaint county, you know, where none of this nonsense was going on. So you got to understand there was, I mean, I come from a county where uh, I know people in the highest levels of leadership on that county that are still gathering up the kids and praying and still gathering up the teachers and praying mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. All mm-hmm. right. We're doing Jesus resurrection skits at, at the county school <laughs> meetings. Um, Nevertheless, that's the point. It's like when you realize it's your responsibility, and that's exactly what's not represented in this article. Right. And I'm not sitting here saying you have to homeschool your kid. There's all kinds of ways that um, you can go about it. But you can see the complete abdication of that uh, responsibility to educate children that I myself was experiencing just because it was the air that I breathed. Yeah. I think a lot of people are there. I think this article highlights just how bad that idea is. Yeah, it, it does. And it, it brings to the, the fore... Uh, th- these subjects that Christian parents must think about. I mean, fundamentally, yeah, it's my right to my responsibility to bring up my children. Bring your children up. It doesn't say that to school teachers. It doesn't say it to Sunday school teachers. It doesn't say it to youth pastors. It says it to parents. Mm-hmm. So I have a fundamental responsibility. Deuteronomy 6, the, the Shema, and how parents are obligated day in, day out, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you walk by the way, we are to teach these things to our children. That's my job. Now then, if I want to hire somebody to teach my kids math or physics or something like that, fine. If I want to do it through a school system, fine. But I cannot then just slough off the responsibility. What happens in that classroom is my responsibility, and I need to own it. And so when, when parents get that, they become far more uh, alert and careful to whom they turn their children over. You know, how, how, who we're going to give our children over to in this situation. With that comes the, the reality, or what ought to be the reality of thinking about what goes on in these systems. I mean, there's all kind of educational systems available to us mm-hmm. today that you didn't have even 15 years ago. So what are my kids going to be exposed to? What do I want for my kids? What are the goals? Well, if you want your kid to be prom king and you want your kid to be the, an athlete and you want your kid to uh, be artistic or whatever, and schools have those opportunities – well, you might say, okay, I need to take advantage of the avenues the schools provide for those things. But, man, Christians, what's the most important thing for our kids? We want our kids to know Christ. We want our kids to come to a knowledge of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's my responsibility to evangelize my kids, to disciple my kids, and to know the God who created this world and to know his world, to learn his world and to prosper in his world. That might be athletically, that might be artistically, whatever it is, we want them to know the truth. And so am I turning my kids over to those who know this God, who will teach them the truth? Again, I, 
I really think Christian parents need to think long and hard before they deliver their kids over to governmental schools. We've got friends, parents who do this, and they do it well. I, I mean, if, and when I talk about homeschooling, I talk about some parents I know who they're in the classroom with their kids. They in, are involved with the teachers. They're involved with the organizations to make sure what the curriculum is. They're not just sending them off and saying, okay, you know, seven hours, eight hours, my kids are gone, they're being taught, and I don't have to worry about it. No, they're having the conversations around the dinner tables. They're making sure that they're keeping up. Uh, one of the things that uh, Bartholet mentions in her articles is the, the danger of kids being abused in homeschooling. Well, that has happened, and I, I have talked parents out of homeschooling uh, over my lifetime. You know, I've told some parents, you have no business teaching your kids at home because you're, you're not doing it in a way that will be beneficial for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've known of cases where kids have been abused, and that's horrific. And, man, uh, there, we ought to, the church ought to be involved with uh, certainly Christian parents, members. We ought to be heavily involved in that. And we ought to be looking out for the welfare of all children. So I agree with her concern there. But when you compare what goes on in homeschools set, settings that we know of, to what we know of goes on in public school settings, and you want to protect your children from being abused, you wouldn't send them to public school. I know, and there's there's too many things here. There there are there are always exceptions, right? So I took statistics, and there's outliers, right? Mm-hmm. And so we can I, we can highlight those, whether that be an outlier of a student who is able to stay in the in the public education system and be okay, um, um, or the outlier of someone who's being homeschooled but actually not getting a sufficient education. Those kinds of things exist. But we need to talk about the, the main um, realities. When you look at the whole, take, take the 10,000-foot view here, and you think about what's going on, there's, there's massive problems with the sexual revolution and how it has caused chaos inside the government education system. Uh, According to a 2004 U.S. Department of Education report, now you need to understand this, the Department of Education is the Department of Education. You understand? (laughs) Federal Department. This is the, this is, it's a, I call it government school to help people understand it is a government entity. It's a government reality uh, supported by taxpayer dollars. And that Department of Education itself, this is their report, they commissioned a study, and it's, there's an estimated 1 in 10 students who will experience school employee sexual misconduct by the time they graduate from high school. Mm. 1 in 10. A one in ten. I'm not citing some random, like you know, weird blogosphere person. I'm citing the Department of Education report itself. A 2004 study says straight up, you're going to send your kids to this to the government schools, and there's a 10 percent chance that they experience school employee sexual misconduct. That's a quote. And so the, the talk about, well, these homeschoolers are really going to be in danger of this. When you take it all the way to 10%, mm-hmm. I mean, who would, who would ever do that? <laughs> who would say, I'm going to send my kid to a place where there's a 1 in 10 chance that he or she experiences sexual misconduct at the hands of a school employee? That's crazy. Yeah, and there have been other studies done as well. Uh, For example, the American Association of University Women did a study of students from the 8th through 11th grades in public education. Here's what they found out. This is a 2000 study. 81% of the students experienced sexual harassment in school. 
83% of the girls, 78% of the boys sexually harassed. 38% of the students were harassed by teachers or school employees. 36% of the school employees or teachers were harassed by students. 42% of the employees or teachers had been harassed by each other. And it, it goes on to say that between 2002 and 2007, there were 2,500 cases of teacher sexual misconduct in the public school system. From 2001 to 2005, mm-hmm. 2,570 teachers had their credentials revoked because of sexual misconduct. Mm. Now then, I appreciate the concern that uh, Elizabeth Bartholet has expressed that children not be abused. Um, praise God. We ought to all be concerned about that. But to suggest that that is more likely to happen in a homeschooling environment than it is in what is already going on in a state-sponsored institutional environment is naive at mm-hmm. best. Yeah. I remember when President Obama did his, um, you know, when he, I don't know what he called it, a shift, a transition, you know, when he came in. He Transformation. Was, uh, yeah. And he transfers over to saying I'm a full-fledged supporter of the LGBTQ community and agenda. Um, I believe it was during that time. That, I mean, they lit up the White House yep. in rainbow colors. And the Department of Education released uh, some kind of footage, I don't know if it's some form of social media, where the DOE was lit up in rainbow colors. There's an absolute sexual revolution that's going on uh, throughout the Department of Education. There's no way to stop that. It's not, it's not going to be experienced in some of the smaller communities and some of the small counties right now, although it does have a trickle-down yeah. effect and even, even attacks there. And so you've got that whole principle, but what I want people to see is that um, – Man, this is so important. The the ethics, which we've been talking about, sexual abuse, this kind of thing, LGBTQ community, and what happened with Obama and with the DOE, is connected to the ideology. And so selling this kind of um, this LGBTQ community is connected to an actual worldview, which goes back to the very worldview that John Dewey had as one of the leaders of American pragmatism in education. I had to read Dewey when I was in college. Dewey has come out very clearly saying there is no God. There is no God. So basically the setup is you you have the government saying to you, we've done a study um, back in 2004, and we discovered that there's a one in ten uh, chance that your child is going to experience some kind of sexual misconduct by our employees, and we don't believe that there is a God. According to our leading founders, we don't believe that there is a God. And the Christian can say, well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning, of the very beginning of knowledge, but we would like to educate your child. Would you send your child to us to be educated? Yeah, exactly. It, th- this calls on Christians, too, to back up and say, okay, what, what are we talking about with children? I mean, I, I think a theology of family, a theology of, of the child is something we need to recover and think clearly about. So I mean, when you bring a little baby into the world, you just had your seventh, right? Mm-hmm. Month old, uh, little daughter. So what is that child? I remember our firstborn, uh, Sarah, when we were living in Dallas and I was an assistant pastor at a church. And the first Sunday that we took her to church, man, I, I mean, I was just thrilled with her. I wanted everybody to see her and everybody to just, uh, you know, uh, express how beautiful she was. I loved hearing all those things. I was also a seminary student, so I was heavy into my theological studies. And I remember when I handed her over to Mrs. Wright in the nursery, dear, dear lady, sweet lady. And she took Sarah. She said, oh, look at her. We had her dressed in all white. She said, oh, so pure, so innocent. 
And I said, yeah, it's hard to believe she's totally depraved, isn't it? <laughs> and she looked at me like I had just come out of some cave or something. And I'm not advocating uh, speaking like that to your nursery workers, but it is important that your nursery workers, as well as all parents, understand that. So what are our children? Well, they're, they're image bearers. They're made in the image of the God who created the world. It's incredible. So they have a sanctity in their life that doesn't belong to tigers and kittens and dogs. I mean, they are image bearers of God. He's breathed into them a soul. They have souls that will never die. That's one. But they're sinful as well. Mm-hmm. And so they're separated from God. That's, that's two. And you, you, if you lose sight of that, then you're going to be messed up. And the third thing that's critical in thinking through a theology of children is that they are savable. They can be saved. They will be saved when turn, they turn from sin and trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And parents, Christian parents must have those three foundational understandings in order to have a right theology of children. Yeah, and I would want to build on that because I think there there probably are a lot of um, a lot of evangelicals out there who say, "Okay, I know the child's an image bearer of God. I know the child is fallen. I know the child's savable." Those three principles, and I'm going to work on the savable part. I'm going to take them to church. I'm going to pray, right? But when it comes to the education part, well, you know that can be. I can I can have the government schools who deny God and who are a part of the sexual revolution go about that part, and we can kind of keep them unstained from that. Uh, but the problem is not only you need to deal with honestly how many hours you're talking about and how much how much data you're talking about when you go the route of the way the system's set up right now, five days a week, eight hours a day, whatever that is. But you also need to understand some things about your your child. Um, I might put it like this: not only is your child savable, your child is discipleable. Yeah. Discipleable, yeah, right? And and according to Paul in the New Testament, that child is holy, being one of your children. Which you know, again, we're going to have a lot of debates with the Presbyterians over that. But as a Baptist, I'm not afraid to actually claim that text. It means it doesn't mean what they think, but it means something. Absolutely. And you need to think of your child that way because I, I think one of the problems we have is is some of the Baptists, and not all of them, but some of them do think, well, my child's not okay. My child's not saved, but savable, and that will happen sometime, probably when they're about 17. So what I'm going to do is just pray for conversion until. 17, and I'm going to disciple as soon as they become a Christian. So when they're about the time they turn 17, I'm really going to jump on discipling them. And so for 17 years, you don't disciple them, and somebody else does. Mm-hmm. So they get a they get a fully developed worldview dropped upon them repeatedly through all kinds of channels. And and you have been praying for conversion and praise God for that. You should not stop that, but you haven't actually been discipling and you haven't seen that that worldview is your responsibility to set in uh, not only through straight dogma, um, but also through the, the whole education, also through watching your movies and also through reading your books and also through what kind of customs and traditions you participate in and also, analyzing the customs and traditions of rampant secular humanism that exists in our culture mm. and helping them to, to see that. So you need to see that the child is holy, that child is set apart or sanctified in certain ways, and your job is to actually train that child. So I would say don't be afraid of the government education system. I mean, I would, Christians, it is a paper tiger. Yeah, It's a paper tiger. It's, I'm not, I'm, so that's one of their things. They're afraid they're going to try to hide. Well, you know, look, there's going to be some defensive measures. Um, but quite honestly, um, I am in the homeschooling movement right now, and I'm, I'm yeah, I mean, it's, it's very small what I have to do for the government. I just go in there and show them a portfolio, and, hey, I even that, I think, is not is not the right kind of move, right? There's other ways you can you can go under other kinds of umbrellas and things. But one of the things we do is say, 
we're not we're not trying to hide from y'all. We're like we're trying to instill in them the kind of logic and rhetoric that will actually absolutely destroy your arguments. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot worse. Don't don't yeah, you, you, you're, yeah. you're subversive. Yes. As much as you're worried about the three or four percent. And I say, well, we're only three or four percent. Can y'all stop being tyrants and come and attacking the we're well, not going to have three to four percent of people in this society that are actually not in our system. Uh, yeah, I, I sense the um, tyrannical nature of what you're doing. And we absolutely are raising our children to not be secular humanists, to see how foolish John Dewey was and to see how foolish his system was that you've established. We're, we're training them to actually be able to think biblically and to understand argumentation and to be able to stand up in the world and actually speak and disciple the nations. So in many ways, the secular humanistic system is trying to disciple discipleship is inevitable they're trying to yeah. disciple and that's what this whole article is about this exactly. is a, this is a power play kind of thing you know as much as people hate the crusades and they talk about the crusades as being this where you're just trying to strong arm people and get them into the kingdom without faith that's what this is this is a religious commitment uh, you want to force people into your kingdom you want to make sure that nobody is objecting well we don't play like that we actually believe in regeneration by the spirit but we're teaching our children how to know god and how to make him known in the world. If you can think like that about your children, getting their arrows in the hands of a, of a warrior, send them out into the world. It's going to help you um, to not fall into some traps when something like this comes up. Yeah, I, the, the, the point about your children being discipled, I want to underscore, because they are being discipled. I don't care who you are, where you live. If you've got kids in your home, they are being discipled. And maybe Disney's discipling them. You know, maybe uh, Hollywood's discipling them. You know, maybe uh, Sesame Street's discipling them. But somebody is discipling them, and, and, and usually it's somebody's. And if parents don't own the responsibility as chief disciplers and guard what comes into the minds of your children, especially at very impressionable stages before they've learned to make distinctions and before they've learned to make proper evaluations, then you're setting yourself up for lots of sorrows and you're setting themselves them up for lots of trials as well. So parents, yeah, be careful what you expose your children to on TV, the commercials on TV, just be careful about that. And Expose them to good books. Expose them to literature and to historic uh, movements that have happened in God's world and help them to see everything from the vantage point that this is God's world. I love reading the book of Proverbs for this very reason. We used to read that book regularly with our kids when they were young because Proverbs basically tells us the whole world is a classroom. Mm -hmm. So there's never a time when mom, dad is with a child, that it's not a teaching opportunity. Man, I I got grandkids now. I love walking through the yard with my grandkids because they'll see bugs, they'll see flowers, and they'll pick it up and say, look at this, you know, and it's it's just new and awe-inspiring. I've seen them so many times, you know, I just step right over them, don't even pay attention, but they see them, and those are moments. Those are moments. Isn't that incredible? You know, why, why is that flower so beautiful? Why do you think God made beautiful flowers? They, it, the, the world's a classroom, and parents need to see this and take the opportunities afforded to us day in and day out. Not, I mean, catechize your kids, absolutely. Teach them scripture memory, absolutely. But recognize that you don't just do that an hour a day. You don't disciple an hour a day. No, you, your job is to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And I mean, the, uh, the proof is so much in the pudding, you know. And uh, so... 
if you are homeschooling and, and hurrah to those who are in the classical Christian education stuff with um, I love that stuff and am e- eager even to uh, see it cultivated in our own experience and we we adopt much of that in our own homeschool but if any honest person went to a public school and like looked at what a kid experienced in that day and then came into our home and experienced what the kid experienced um I mean, it, it's, the proof is in the pudding. And, and that's part of the parental responsibility. All, anything that's good that's happened in our homes by God's grace and all the bad stuff is totally my responsibility. Um, but there, there is a way. <laughs> they have lost the beauty of that education. Right. They're, not, they're not even thinking anymore. So <laughs> once you lose God, once you lose the fear of God, you don't have knowledge anymore. And so the whole everybody gets a trophy is 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 one way of thinking like there is no right and there is no mm-hmm. wrong. That's really what that means at the end of the day. That's why everybody gets a trophy. Mm-hmm. And if there's no right, there's no wrong. There's no debate. Any kind of debate is an absolute you know visceral attack upon my my human person. You can't even have re- you can't have debate class anymore. You can't have rhetoric anymore. Yeah. You can't have logic anymore. And so therefore, you can't actually have education anymore. So one of the things for for homeschooling parents to do is to bring up, I mean, we just bring up stuff that's happening. So we've done this with the whole COVID-19 stuff that's happened and we've gone back to the 1960s and we'll just talk about it around the table and you just see them light up. I mean, they're having debates about what's happening. We'll bring this issue up. Hey, Mm -hmm. hey, what do you think about, you know, should a given society be able to educate all the children or should the parents do it? What do you think? We're giving them sphere sovereignty and they're trying to work out those ideas and where, where the blurry edges are on that. You just talk about those kind of things. That world is opened up to us as Christians, and we can have those kind of dialogues. We can have those kinds of debates, and we can come to a knowledge of the truth. So, yes, um, there is a danger of insulating. Make sure you're not insulating. Make sure that you're the one introducing them to all of these ideologies. You don't have to be afraid of any of those ideologies. You say, well, you know, they're silliness, but let's talk about them and let's prepare and let's show you what you are in the world. You are going to be um, in the minority as you grow up as a Christian in a rampantly secularist America. Yeah. One of the ways we would do that is, is I would very often play the devil's advocate. You know, I will take this position and argue mm-hmm. it with the kids and just, just force them to come to conclusions or come to questions that need to be resolved. And, and sometimes you just leave the questions hanging. Let them stew on it for days or weeks or whatever. It's a safe place to do that because they're in a home where God is feared, where the gospel is known, where Christ is revered as Lord of all. Yeah. And so they're free to explore, to think, to uh, analyze, and to critique any idea yeah and it will become clear this is where it gets creepy when you start to do this it will become clear so quickly um how this is just a collision of worldviews there's it's really you start to see the religious nature of both camps because if i were to run this little experiment with my kids i know what would happen and we're going to go well it's the parents job it's the family's job it's not in the realm of the of the government right who who has the authority in this Mm -hmm. kind of situation well how do you know that well, we have a book. We're going to ask them the catechism <laughs> right. question. You know, who wrote the Bible? Holy men who were taught by the Holy Spirit. So there's no errors in the Bible? No, there's no errors in the Bible. Why not? Well, because it's God-inspired word, and God is light, and him is no darkness. I mean, they've got a theology here, mm-hmm. you know, and the secular humans are going, you indoctrinated right, your man. children. This is I'm what we're say, talking about. Yes, I did indoctrinate <laughs> them because the God in heaven told me to, and you should be indoctrinating your children too, according to this, and not according to the doctrination right. that you're actually practicing. But at the end of the day, they're going to say, you know, well, uh, parents raise your children in the nurture and admonition of 
of the Lord because that's what the Bible says. And you're going to realize that the other system is just flat contradictory. That's right. It's not a terribly nuanced kind of thing. It's just, oh, so why do you do that? What kind of commitments do you have that that result in you starting to say that, you know, it takes a village? <laughs> it takes a village. There's an ideology under that. You know, that's a whole philosophy. I mean, you start to read Plato and get into the what he did. That would be fascinating, by the way, to, you know, let's play around with Plato's thought where he says all the upper echelons of society, we shouldn't have any families. They should all just basically sleep together and then all the children will belong to all of them. <laughs> what do you think about that play? So. The, the kids will become educated, and they'll see. They won't be afraid of it, but they'll see, okay, oh, I see what Hillary Clinton wants to do. I see why Hillary Clinton wants to do it. She's quite a religious lady. Now, she's so religious, and this lady here is so religious, that even if three people dissent to their worldview and their religion, they're going to come after you really hard in the Harvard Magazine. Very evangelistic for their religion. Yeah. Hey. Man, we should add all these links. Hannah, yep. can we put all these links in there? We're going to put all the links in the footnotes. We should come back and talk more about this because there's still all kinds of meat on the bone that we could talk about. But we're out of time for today. So thank you for listening to The Sword and the Trial. Do, hey, check out the Fear God t-shirt and check out The Bond of Grace and Duty in the Soteriology of John Owen by Philip A. Craig. It is on sale at a wonderful price. Thanks again for listening to The Sword and the Trial. <laughs>